Welcome to No Truck Stops, a Pack 12 podcast brought to you by Homefield Apparel. I am Matt at No Pit Stops. Joining me, a born again Utah fan, Avery at Brave Grapes. Uh, pack 12 heavy on the air quotes. <laughs> no, it's, it, it counts. It counts. Greg is also here at Banana Morphs. Ready to talk about truck stops. This is great. New era. Yeah, was just a <laughs> finally have an outlet. <laughs> um, and then an off-screen role in a non-microphone. That's right. We have finally silenced him. Carlos at Equity Bruin. Uh, we'll be running the ones and twos on the background. This is the inaugural Big 12 show, and we have news. The Big 12 dropped their schedule. Bill Connolly of SP Plus and ESPN fame dropped his returning production numbers. We'll also touch on some of the coaching carousel news as well, kind of talk about how that has impacted the conference and all of the truck stops and everything. But first, a program announcement, memo, FYI, I, I don't know. Currently, it's still something I'm told is called basketball season. Um, so that will continue to be our live episode on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific time. We'll drop in your feed every so often anytime we get some Big 12 happenings through March, and then we will start our off-season programming. We have a lot to learn about with the move to the new conference, so we will have plenty to go over in the off-season, and we will certainly share as much of that delightful adventure as with you, the dear listener, as we can. As always, subscribe to our YouTube channel, like the video, comment away with your thoughts on the YouTube chat. Follow us and tweet us at No Truck Stops Pod on Twitter. Send in your questions and rants. And of course, podcast listeners, follow the show on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five star review. All right, let's talk about it. Uh, Bill Connolly dropped his returning production numbers for the 2024 season. I will now read a spreadsheet as is prime audio content. <laughs> the number one team in the Big 12 in returning production, Iowa State, number two in the nation, 85% of returning production coming back. Oklahoma State is second, number four in the nation. Colorado, Utah, TCU, West Virginia, all in the top 25. Then we go Arizona State, Baylor, Arizona, all the way down at 43 uh, BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, Kansas, Kansas State, Texas Tech, and UCF with the 101st returning production number in the nation. Thank God that uh, I'm, I'm just so happy that we have 16 teams to go through on that spreadsheet. That makes way more sense and is way easier to digest than, I don't know, like 12 or somewhere <laughs> around there. Um, I think that that uh, I'm, I'm glad we're at 16. That's way better. What? Stands out here, the as you see these returning production numbers and specifically compare them to what those teams were last year and how you project them going forward this season in 2024, Greg, what what stands out to you uh, in, in this what list? What stands out to me most when looking at the returning production is Utah and Oklahoma State, because I think those are two teams everybody expects to be contenders. And they have a ton of returning production, both above 70. Now, they're not the two highest because uh, Colorado's up there in the top four. Iowa State, of course, is number one. But I think the talent that they're returning means a lot more than the talent that uh, Iowa State is returning. You know, like these are just better teams. Uh, I think these are two teams that should be upset. I think they should view next season as a failure if they're not in the conference title game. Grapes? Yeah, especially with what has happened to Arizona in the last, I don't know, month. I, I definitely think they have kind of been removed from the contenders of the conference up there with Utah. So I agree with Greg. Like Oklahoma State 
with the production they're bringing back. I'm not going to pretend to know any of their players because <laughs> I just don't. And obviously Utah, like they definitely are the, should be the favorites to win the conference. And like, I expect them compared to the rest of the league where most of these teams don't have a great returning production. They should be in the title game for sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I think for me, Kansas state is one of the ones that, that reaches me the most mm-hmm. being down at 82nd in the nation, only mm-hmm. 58% coming back. And specifically, only 37% of offensive production mm-hmm. returning. Uh, they bring back everyone on defense. They have the, the highest rated returning production of defense in the conference. But that was the best team in the conference last year um, outside of Texas that should be one of the most talented and most ready-to-compete teams. I, I really think you're looking at Utah, Oklahoma State, and Kansas State with Arizona in a shrug position. Who the hell knows what's going on in Tucson right now? But I do think that that them being in that much of a disparity when it comes to what they are returning as it compares to Oklahoma State and Utah, um, I think is definitely something that's a part of that conversation. I still think that Kansas State obviously has done a really good job in building the program, and you would expect them to reload in some way. I also don't think that you're in any situation where you need to score 50 points a game in this conference to win. But I do think that that is probably the separating factor when you're looking at who are your betting favorites. I, I think that Utah and, and Oklahoma state has to be kind of interesting. I, how surprised are you? And and maybe this is just more of a question that, you know, we would need to ask bill about like, what do you think is going on with the Utah returning production and how that is counted based on the fact that like they ran through, I think, 40 different starters on offense, uh, along with what they are returning from the 2022 season. I, that, to me, is a really hard evaluation. I have no idea how these numbers work. Do uh, we, <laughs> yeah, do we know what like um, what he uses to come up with this? Like, is it games played? No, or is it based off of starters? It's most so it's mostly like yards and actual production. So like defensively, he's counting like number of tackles and number of starts and everything. Um, Offensively, I know that he basically will mash in like transfer returning production um, and counts those yards in the same way, which I I found kind of interesting. And I was like, so are you just counting like Cam Rising's 2022 numbers? I bet that's what he's doing against the 23 production. I just. I feel like Utah would have had to have been a a real like you know again just kind of mashing it in as if all, all these players Keep were coming the same as transfers, way. right? So I don't know. I I found that part of it kind of interesting. Um, with this returning production numbers, based on the returning production numbers, and then um, you know how the teams finished as far as a Big Twelve ranking of the SP plus um, rankings at the end of the year. I put together some way too early tiers. Obviously, they're correct and, and will be forever more. Um, if you think I'm an idiot, tag Twitter user Equity Bruin um, and let him know all about it, please. I don't want to hear it. For me, He's our HR department, right? Um, it's and it's interesting. <laughs> I just I don't know. I'm not as high on Oklahoma State and how they were last year, and I'm really concerned about their offense. Yeah. For me, my tier one is Utah and Arizona as playoff or bust. I really think that both of those programs need to be in a position where they take advantage of who they have. And I think that Arizona offensively should be able to still hang despite what they have lost. Um, Tier two, uh, I have for conference contenders. Number three, I have K-State. Four, TCU. Five, Iowa State. Then Oklahoma State and Kansas to round out the top seven. Those are my conference contenders. 
any issues with any of those seven being conference contenders and favorites. The Arizona one is so interesting because I mean, Winchish went to Washington. Typically what happens with a head coach leaving his star players, at least recently have transferred with him. So I think a lot of us figured that Fafita and Tet would go there too. But now that we know they're staying, they're probably two of the best players in the conference right now. Like, Tet McMillan for me and, and um, Noah Fafita are like definitely the best quarterback wide receiver pairing that we have. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Like, I don't know if I'd put Arizona in a tier called playoff or bust, but then we're also in playoff expansion. I don't know how to think about college football anymore because I'm like, well, they have a new head coach. Oh, but they have the probably the best quarterback wide receiver in the conference. Oh, it's way easier to get in the playoffs now. Uh-huh. With regards to Arizona's new head coach, I also think that he's the kind of guy who I expect to be good in the first couple of years. My questions with him yeah. are a lot more about like team building rather than on the field coaching. And so when he's got one of the best quarterback receiver duos in this conference, as well as like a pretty solid roster overall that Jed Fish left behind. Uh, I expect it to be a good team. I expect Arizona to compete for sure. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to talk about their schedule draw as well as we get to that on the second half of the show. But um, I just, especially with where they were existing in a Pac-12 that did involve national title contenders, um, it's really hard to consider taking a step back in conference and then taking a step back in their position within that conference. I mean, there's there's a very clear argument of Arizona being a top two team in the Pac-12 last year. Um, depending on how you feel about Washington, uh, you can have that argument. But um, I've been yelled at plenty for having that argument this season. So um, my tier three is titled Hold Up. These are still conference contenders question mark. Um, I have Colorado and West Virginia here. Um, I just, part of this is definitely that like, there aren't any teams in this big 12 conference that are playing to be national title winners. And I think that there's a chance that both of them could fuck around and win nine games. And who the hell knows that might put them in the conference title game. Um, tier four is ugly, but still could beat the tier two teams. This is Baylor, BYU, Texas tech, UCF, and ASU. And then tier five is just plain bad, and that's Cincinnati and Houston. So in that bottom half, where do you land? I mean, do you agree that Colorado and West Virginia are just as much contenders as, you know, your Iowa State's Kansas TCU? Uh, and then where do you see that kind of bottom half? of the yeah, My question here is like, why shouldn't Colorado be a tier higher than they are? They have some insane returning production and they have the best quarterback in the conference, and I don't think it's that close. I think Shadur Sanders Mm -hmm. is a tier above any other quarterback the Big 12 has. Uh, He's fantastic, and he has weapons. He has weapons. Like, the Colorado offense could be sick this year. Uh, The offensive line should be improved. The receivers were great last year. The skill positions were great. Shadur Sanders is just a ridiculously accurate thrower of the football, very composed. I... I like Colorado this year a lot better than I liked them last year. I think most of the problems I had with them last year before the season have been like solved decently well. Like I'm not expecting them to just run through the the run through uh, the the conference. But I look at teams like Iowa State, TCU, uh, Kansas, and I don't understand why Colorado can't compete at that level, you know, especially considering Colorado beat TCU last year and returns more production than TCU does. Grapes. 
I, I'm going to be doing a lot of honking for the former Pac-12 teams because that's what I know. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to come on here and pretend I know anything about West Virginia because why would I? I don't. This this is going to be a very great exploratory year for me discovering these new teams. But yeah, I agree with Greg. Like I don't see Colorado probably has one of the most talented teams in this conference. I really like Shadur Sanders. They had kind of a uneventful ending to the season it started out really big but anyone that expected great things from colorado <clears throat> carlos uh, <laughs> was was reaching a little bit too high and you know what what greg said really has me feeling like maybe this is the year to be on the colorado hype train i think everyone was a little early last year and i think a lot of people are gonna let let go of them and let go of that dream but i still believe in dion um I am putting them in this tier because I don't want to get yelled at. I think that them actually contending for the <laughs> conference would be an astronomical improvement. Um, they have the bat, the worst defense coming into the season. That's they have the worst defense in the conference coming into the season. Cincinnati's really the only one that's even that to me is going to compete for that. Maybe Texas Tech. I just the defense is still going to be bad to very bad. And as far as Shador goes, while I absolutely think that he is probably the most talented quarterback in the conference. I don't feel comfortable calling him the best uh, uh, quarterback in the conference. Um, I think that he holds the ball and, and creates sacks that his offensive line don't necessarily create for him. Um, and I really am concerned about some of the turnover offensively. Um, they absolutely beat TCU last year. That was when Sean Elliott was in his bag and I, he's not there anymore. Um, we obviously saw what happened the second he wasn't allowed to be in his bag. And I just, I, I think that Colorado can absolutely mess around and win nine games. I think that nine is absolutely the ceiling and there's going to have to be a lot of carnage around them for them to be a contender. Whereas, I mean, a Kansas won nine games last year. You know, I, I think that you, when you're looking at those top seven, this is a really, really deep conference in the mid teens to top 30 teams. And I just don't think that Colorado really is to the point of being ready to break that. If that makes sense. Yeah, make, uh, I mean, I think it makes sense. Maybe maybe I'm underrating the overall uh, conference landscape of the Big 12, but I do think having the talent that Colorado does have when there aren't any like national title juggernauts in this conference, uh, and there are a lot of like really mediocre teams. Like I think that is, I think that is a formula that can win you a lot of games, even with a shitty defense, even with a quarterback that holds onto the ball too long. Is it true that they have the most talented defensive players in the conference? So. That's what Carlos said in the chat. I mean, they have Travis Hunter. Um, <laughs> that's true. You know, like that's, <laughs> they certainly have the most talented player. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, and, you know, that's just unfortunately not how defensively like that works. Yeah. Um, if you have the most defensive player on the field and it's your quarterback, sometimes you're wrong uh, or sometimes you're, you're running back. Um, apparently I'm saying something wrong again. That's just not true. Um, the, I just, I do think that there, there's just not a defensive player outside of a defensive end. Maybe that can carry a defense the way, uh, elite especially not a corner when it, it just takes one bad corner to make a secondary bad. Yeah. Yeah. Like his impact 
definitely feels like he's more impactful on the offense than the defense simply because of the, who's playing around him when he's on the defensive Ooh, Avery, side of the you ball. You mentioned earlier uh, Fafita and Tat McMillan for Arizona as being the best quarterback receiver duo in this conference. Do you think they're Ooh. better than Shadur and Travis Hunter? Because I think I'd probably take Shadur and Travis Hunter. I mean, I just feel like it's a floor ceiling situation. I think Noah Fafita has a higher floor mm-hmm. than Shadur Sandals, Sanders has. I feel like he's more consistent and makes less mistakes. And I do think they have a better connection. They've been playing together since high school, and that like does matter. They have a lot of chemistry. Uh, but ooh, the talent aspect, Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders are definitely more talented as a duo than Tet and Fafita. So... That's interesting. I don't know. I mean, T-Mac is, T-Mac is really good. <laughs> He's really good. He like, is really good. Like, I don't think I don't think that the drop-off from T-Mac to Travis Hunter, I mean, you might be looking at sixes there. Um, yeah. And I think it's really just a point of preference when you're talking about Fafita versus Sanders. I think that Sanders is definitely going to have those higher ceiling plays, exactly like Avery said. Yeah. But no one's going to put the ball where it's supposed to be every time. I rather have Fafita and T Mac like on my well, team personally than Travis Hunter and we will Shitter get, Sanders. We will get purely play. for the offensive standpoint. Not like yeah, I'd rather yeah. have Travis Hunter <laughs> than everybody. But we will get to see Colorado and Arizona play this year, which I am very excited for. That's gonna be electric. Did they not play last year? I think they did, no, but they I just did. want to see it again. Okay. Yeah, it it didn't really matter. So, no, that's definitely fair. Um, ASU, um, I have them ranked 14th among UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, um, the four newcomers to the Big 12 last year, um, and specifically the the Razors to Power Five football. Do we see them reaching up above that at all? I I think I'm having a tough time with them. Below BYU is a very offensive decision well yeah for sure that's a slap in the face for arizona state i mean arizona state was not great (laughs) it was not good last year but these aren't great teams that you're lumping them in here with so i don't know i i obviously know arizona state better than i know any of these teams and so i kind of trust them more and i think kenny Dillingham is a weirdo but he's a very like creative coach and that could matter here Mm -hmm. so I want to put them higher just because I care more about Arizona State than I do about Baylor, BYU, Texas Tech, and UCF. But it's hard to know because they just weren't—they weren't good. They <laughs> didn't have a lot going for them last season. Here's what I will say for ASU: I think that is a good spot for them, considering what we've seen from them uh, last year. But I look at the other teams in that uh, in that tier: the Baylor, BYU, Texas Tech, UCF, ASU, and what I notice is I think uh, I think ASU will have the best quarterback with Jaden Rashada in that tier, and I think mm. they have the best coach with Kenny Dillingham in that tier. I don't love Gus Mazan as a coach. I don't love uh, Kalani Sataki as a coach. I don't love Dave Aranda as a coach. And Texas Tech's coach, I cannot remember his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like I can see his face in my head, but I just remember him as like they hired him because they couldn't play Jeff Trailer's buyout, you know? Uh I like Kenny Dillingham a lot. I like Jane Rashada a lot. I think that is a recipe for winning in the Big Twelve, especially 
with how scrappy ASU looked last year in the Pac-12. Like, again, I don't know these teams as well as uh, as I know the former Pac-12 teams, but ASU was competitive against good teams at times. And I think with a quarterback and with a coach, we'll put the quarterback in, in spots to succeed. Uh, I could see them like fucking around and making a bowl, making seven, maybe eight wins. Specifically with how scrappy they were yes. defensively, yeah. right? Like it feels, mm-hmm. it feels like they're going to ruin a couple quarterbacks mm-hmm. days. So yeah. And I, and yeah, the- I really like Jaden Rashada. It's mm-hmm. just like hard to talk about him because he was injured so much of the season. And I, I think a lot of their hopes like really rely on him. And just like ready made 17 said in the chat, like if he gets hurt, yeah, <laughs> that could be a really, really, really bad situation for Arizona state. hundred percent. Yeah. Might see another tight end at, at quarterback for a couple games there. Okay. Well, that's, we're going to take a quick ad break. And then when we come back, we will talk about the long anticipated big 12 football schedule for the 2024 season. Do not go anywhere. No Truck Stops is proud to endorse Homefield as the only brand for college football and basketball consumers who watch teams outside their own. I can speak from experience. Over this past football season, Homefield allowed me to stay in fashion with my evolving rooting interests. In the preseason, I wore this Oski shirt to boast my cow curiosity. When Colorado started off hot, I threw on this beautiful Buffs shirt to commemorate my lifelong fandom. And even in the 11th hour with Washington on the doorstep of a national title, I threw on this Arizona State shirt and the bad vibes from Tempe came through. And of course, now with football season over, I've stocked up on my Oregon gear like this shirt as we enter the chase for the offseason natty. No matter the team, you can be confident in the same soft and comfortable home field quality. Use code NOTRUCKSTOPS23 to assemble your own collection of hats, shirts, hoodies, joggers, and bomber jackets at homefieldapparel.com. All right, welcome back. Let's talk the Big 12 schedule. So now, as is equal of of prime audio, I will continue to read all 12 games for each 16, each of the 16 teams <laughs> in this conference. We begin with Arizona. No, we're not going to do that. Please, oh, please don't. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, please. Uh, the only reason that we will not do that is because there is no legible graphic to actually be able to read all the schedules at once. Um, the Big 12 dropped the 2024 schedule on Tuesday of last week. We needed some time to digest everything and frankly figure out who the hell some of these teams are. Now that we've had some time to look over everything, I first want to hear who came out a winner with the schedule that they have for 2024, Greg. I think the biggest, most obvious winner is Utah. Uh, Utah has the easiest fucking schedule it's had in years. Uh, This is an incredible gift from the scheduling gods. And if Utah doesn't go to the playoffs, they should be fucking ashamed i guess maybe not the playoffs because you know anything can happen in a title game you lose that game whatever but if they're not in the conference title game and if they don't have 10 wins like people should be fired based on how easy the schedule they got is 
going through it, they get Southern Utah. Baylor is a non-conference game. Utah State at Oklahoma State is tough. Home at Arizona is tough. The rest of the way, Utah should be favored by a touchdown in all of those games. It is a ridiculously easy schedule. Utah has been just blessed by the Big 12 coming in in year one. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it like the the football gods. I genuinely think they're protecting their biggest brand. Yeah. Right? Are we gonna <laughs> I know we're I know we're a few Utah fans, but like Utah Utah is their biggest brand right now. Or like one of them and definitely is like poised to be the best team in the Big Twelve. And it really does look like they're trying to make it super easy for them. I mean, home versus Arizona the week before the bye, it's a home game. Like, at least it's not on the road. And then you get a break before going to Tempe, which, as we know, is literally the worst place you could possibly play ever. So they're looking out for us there. I don't I don't I, know. I, I agree with Greg. It, it does seem like it will be pretty, pretty I'm, easy. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Carlos has this graphic up of ESPN showing the schedule and it has ticket numbers. Who in the hell is paying $265 to see Utah at Utah State? What in Logan costs $250? They've been begging to play Utah in forever. Like, when's the last time Utah State? I, it's been like six years. I what? What the hell? You just, yeah, fans no are way. Crazy. Absolutely no way. And who That's... is paying one hundred and seventy dollars to watch Utah play SUU? Yeah, I, I mean the Utah's tickets are just ridiculous. <laughs> but like that, holy crap! In Logan, that's that's wild. I'm sorry, Greg. You were you? I think it was your turn. <laughs> uh, no, I just my general point was the same as Avery's. Utah has an incredible schedule. They're set up for success. Okay. Um, my winner, I, I do think that Utah's schedule is incredible. I also, you know, they do have to go to Oklahoma state. You do have to play in Tempe on a potential Friday game. Not sure if those PAC 12 Friday night games are going to follow the, the, to the big 12 or what those vibes are going to be. I even think that like the at UCF on a Friday in the final week of the season is a little weird. So I, I don't know. It is. I do think that looking through these schedules as again, there are no Texas's, there are no Oklahoma's, there are no USC's, there are no Oregon's. I, I do think that when we're talking about some of the schedule stuff, it, it is a little bit more difficult. My winner, I think maybe unquestionably is Kansas state. Mm. Um, most difficult games. They play Arizona and Oklahoma state. Both of them are at home. Um, their most difficult road game is probably at Colorado. Their road games are at Tulane, at BYU, at Colorado, at West Virginia, at Houston, and at Iowa State to close out the season. And they get the bye before going to Colorado. Yeah, I mean, I just... They they do have back-to-back road games uh, at Colorado, at West Virginia, but I I mean, they miss Mm -hmm. Utah. They don't have to play a very difficult um, Arizona team on the road. I I think that that schedule, very similarly to where Utah's at, of if you don't win eleven games with this schedule, I don't know what your future holds. Because yeah. <laughs> um, I I unquestionably think that that is a schedule that should be very very doable. Uh, non-con being whatever a UT Martin is. Um, look, all it reads not here, so we can talk about playing at Tulane is not a big <laughs> deal. I just that. 
I, I, this is a cash schedule. I really don't think you can be happier if you're a Kansas State fan. Can I ask a potentially dumb question that I could probably Google? Hell yeah. What's with the multiple buys? Why is every team getting two buys this season? Uh, let's get our researcher Carlos on that. Um, he could also, I honestly have no idea. He could it, also figure out why the Big 12 hates rivalry week. That would be good too. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say for my biggest my biggest loser is tradition and history. <laughs> genuinely, what the fuck? Like, I get that the Big 12 is a newer conference. I think they 29 years old, 30 years old, something like that, started mid-90s, which makes me sad as someone who, like, loves the history of college football. I want to get in the weeds of 1930s football. Nobody else does, but I do. Um, <laughs> Rivalry Week does not exist in this conference, and I feel like this was a really good chance for them to like start developing these mm-hmm. rivalries the ones that already exist that we haven't seen in a while like you get with BYU and Utah who are not playing rivalry re- weekend for some reason and they just completely fucking ignored it Arizona State and BYU are playing rivalry Arizona weekend playing Arizona, Utah's playing UCF yeah, the last week of the season. Uh-huh. I think they're the only rivals oh, okay. who get to play Rivalry Week. Is the Territorial Cup? Oh, you're right. You're right. Which I understand has always been the Big 12's. I'm sorry. BYU's playing Houston. <laughs> yeah, like I just I understand that's always been the Big 12's mo. As far as Red River has not been on Rivalry Week, Bedlam has not been on Rivalry Week. I I get it. They're wrong. You're just you're just mm-hmm. wrong. You're wrong mm-hmm. for doing this. Uh, it it hurts. It hurts. Okay. Let's see. Okay. Carlos, our, our researcher said, why are there two week by weeks the next season? That's due to NCAA bylaws in the calendar under bylaws. Not play the first game before Labor Day. All right. This is useless. Thank you, Carlos. You're great. Um, I don't, yeah, I got so it's just a weird thing with the calendar in 2024 because it has, because the calendar has an early Labor Day. Weird. Huh. Yeah, very weird. All right, whatever. Um, okay. Any other losers in the conference? Colorado. I mean, I, I think okay. Colorado Let's hear it. got a brutal schedule. They've got to play at Nebraska, which is, of course, just a thing with Colorado uh, being rivals with them. But they also have to play on the road at Arizona. They have to play Utah. They have to play Oklahoma State, too. It is a tough schedule. And I didn't even, did I mention Kansas State? Like, I, I think Colorado. W- could have had yeah, they did catch everyone. <laughs> Colorado could have had a really nice year, but man, it is tough when you have to play every good team in your conference. Yeah, they catch Kansas State at Arizona, Utah at Kansas, and Oklahoma State. They catch all five of your like these should be the contenders. And their non conference schedule is brutal. Um, like the FCS team is yeah, North Dakota State. That, what but... are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, they've, they've always kind of been idiots for that. I kind of have the same feeling about Arizona a little bit. Um, they have to go at Kansas state and at Utah. Um, they're also at TCU. Uh, if you are looking at really setting up a team that is, you know, that, that should have been lined up for the conference. Um, I think that Arizona is one that you could have been a little nicer to Mm -hmm. as far as some of those road games go. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I do think Colorado is a really good poll. Iowa State looks decent. I don't know. Avery, you have any other losers besides tradition? I 
God, it's so hard. There's so many teams. <laughs> There's so many teams I don't know a lot about. So I'm like, uh, it's hard for me to say, really. I definitely agree that Colorado has a tough schedule because they're playing all the hard teams in the conference. I, I do think it kind of sucks for the teams that have non-conference games against conference opponents like Utah's playing Baylor non-conference just because that's disgusting and gross and wrong and gonna confuse everyone when you're trying to figure out the rankings for this conference and they should have changed that but goodness I cannot get, look at this graphic and re- <laughs> I have one more before we get into graphic yeah, talk before we get into graphic talk which is valid <laughs> West Virginia's got a brutal schedule as well Their non-con includes Penn State and Pittsburgh. They have to play at Oklahoma State. They have to play at Arizona. And then they finish the season in Lubbock, which is, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, the non-con games in here are (laughs) hilarious. Um, Kansas State going to Tulane. Texas Tech is going to Wazoo. Uh, for some reason, unbeknownst to anybody, <laughs> TCU is going to Stanford. There, there's there's a lot of very funny non-conferences, non-conference games in here. BYU is playing at Wyoming. Like, just shutter, shutter your program you, if you're going why to are you Wyoming. Going to Laramie? Like, that's, that's just a bad choice every time. Um, Arizona State is playing at Texas State because sure, that <laughs> why not? Um, my guys can't afford a buy game, I guess. I have no idea. It's, yeah, there's there's some very, very, yes, b- very based Texas State, nonetheless. Uh, but still, um, very, very interesting <laughs> to be going there. Um, let's do graphic stock real quick. I, Carlos put up the graphic. The big graphic is just doing so much work here. I don't, I don't even know what to call this. Greg, you have some thoughts on this. Um, something. <laughs> what uh, Monstrosity? I don't know. I- like I, I need, I have glasses. I wear glasses. What As the hell? somebody who is not great <laughs> at Photoshop, <laughs> I understand how a graphic like this takes place. I understand that you think actually it's just much easier to put in text boxes in this little chart, and then I don't have to do very much work. But here's the thing: <laughs> I don't work for the fucking Big Twelve. I don't release this so everybody knows who their teams are playing. Like, what the fuck? was the process of this graphic being like shared to the world what was that process like how did they think this is the way we want people to view the marquee games in our conference we want it to be as illegible as possible we want nobody to know when they're playing who at all (laughs) because i don't know fuck them i guess there's just one change they could have made that would have improved this graphic to the point like this graphic layout every conference uses it once you hit 12 teams like that's your max before it like starts getting bad but if they would have just used the team logos instead of typing out the team names we could have avoided a lot of confusion here and i think what probably happened was there's a few non-conference games in there that people don't really know the team enough to like know what their logo is like Albany. If you put Albany's logo on there, I don't know. You still know it's a shitty team. Probably thought that they probably thought that. And they're like, it would be easier if we just put Albany, but it's like, nobody gives a shit. (laughs) Nobody cares. And playing the non-conference logo logo game is one of the best parts of a schedule release. You get to go being like, who, who is that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing that drives me crazy about this again 
every schedule graphic does this, where you put the home games in one color and the away games in another color. Why did Mm -hmm. you still put the at symbols in? Yep. Why are we still writing in at SMU instead of just saying they play SMU in white? That's away. Did they release their rough draft before it was finished? Yeah, this was sent to the people who are supposed to make the graphic. And they were like, okay, just make this look good. And the person was like, nah, I'm not doing that shit. And just posted it. Like, it's just a copy paste. Like, this had, this is a direct link to an Excel spreadsheet, right? For sure. Yeah. I. It's it's truly, it's truly horrible. Yeah. And it, it's too bad that we don't have divisions because then they could have, like, split it into two separate yeah. graphics. But it, it's bad. And the team logos are small. So, like, you don't really know what's going on there with that. It, it's it's an atrocity yeah, all around, though. Yeah, Pick, picking the schools, the 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 logos would have been way better. Um, okay, so another discourse that that I wanted to bring up the how the schedule sets up your overall conference perception. I think that the best thing that the Pac-12 did finally in 2023, first time ever, was setting up late season inflated records to set up for having your conference in the discussion, right? Setting up Mm -hmm. Washington and Oregon to have those inflated records, even Arizona uh, being able to pull the nine and three. And I think that them being nine and three in the pac 12 contributed to them finishing with a top 10 ranking when two years ago, a nine and three doesn't even have you in the top Mm -hmm. 15 in the pac 12. And I don't, I mean, obviously the pac 12 was better last year. I don't know how much better it was, than a 2019 uh, type year. One of my biggest complaints with this schedule is how, and part of this definitely has to do with the rivalry week of it all, how the schedule is set up where you have Arizona and Utah playing in week five. Um, You have a Kansas State and Oklahoma State in week five. I mean, two of your marquee matchups in the conference for the season, you're running out there in week five. And especially when you kind of have it set up where you have an idea of if Utah and Kansas State can just not fuck up, they will, you, you don't have to set up any conference re, um, like rematches or anything mm-hmm. like that in, in the title game. One of my biggest complaints as I'm looking at this is I, I'm seeing a potential of Arizona dropping out of the top 25 after week five, um, just because they could potentially have two losses and still finish 10 and two you're screwing them over when it comes to having enough teams ranked late, especially in a 12 team playoff world that if you can have three or four in that final grouping and keep them there all season, I, you just, they're not going to drop you out when, if, if you've been there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like marketing is such an important tool that the big 12 really needs to utilize because, you know, when you look at the SEC, when you look at the big 10, the big 12 is obviously outside of that group. Like Mm -hmm. they are the third conference. They are separate. They are the conference that's going to get picked off when those conferences decide to expand to super conferences. So what they need to do is market their teams in a way that makes them appear to be on the same stage as at least mm-hmm. the big 10. Right. And they're clearly not doing that. I think it's, it's really just trying to look at like why they might've wanted to do this. Maybe what they're looking for is cause they set Utah with a schedule where they should finish the season six and oh, you know, like that should be pretty easy. Like they should be favored by a decent margin in all their final last final six games. If Utah 
beats Oklahoma State and Arizona, Utah has a good shot of going undefeated, and they will be high in the top 10 the entire way down the stretch. I don't think that is like a valid way of doing it. I think that is I think that is a very dumb like methodology for trying to get your teams the highest playoff seating as possible. But that's just the way I'm trying to justify what they did because it is really, really weird to front load the schedule like that. Yeah, I just that that to me is such a like you're not <laughs> you're not in weeks four and five. You're not jumping a team ahead of other teams that you think are better just because they beat a better team. Right. Like if if Michigan beats, I don't know, fucking Northwestern that week, just because Utah beat Oklahoma State and Arizona back to back, that they're not ranking Utah ahead of them. You need those other teams to lose at mm. the same time that you are beating better yeah. teams. And, and I think that that is definitely something that I, I think the big 12 genuinely missed an opportunity with that. Um, because yeah, I mean, Utah's biggest game shouldn't be weeks four and five. That seems incredibly short-sighted to me. Yeah. So I don't know anything else on the schedule before we move on to some coaching talk. Carlos pointed it out in the chat that we need to discuss how many Friday games there are because Pac-12 fans swore killing the Pac-12 meant no more Friday games. Yeah, I, I tweeted about this when the schedule was released. Utah might be playing in no. Tempe on a Friday. Like, you're telling me the Pac-12 is dead? No. The Pac-12 is alive who, and well. <laughs> who was saying this was going to kill Friday night games? I don't I don't. Oregon and Washington fans? Apparently, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, it was a, a discourse from the Pac-12 fans that, like, hate I think Friday ASU fans also actually were among those. Uh, which is pretty funny. Where all their wins are coming from. <laughs> but yeah, pack, the Friday night games were never going to go away when you're going to a conference like the Big 12, mm-hmm. which isn't one of the big two conferences, you know? They're always going to have to do this. It's unfortunate. Yeah, and I don't know. Like, I don't I don't hate a Friday night game. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind them at all. <laughs> I'd way... They're so much better for attending, <laughs> honestly. Oh, and I'd way rather have a Friday night game than a 10 p.m. Saturday night game. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that that's an easy, yeah. easy decision for me. Um, even though I mean some of those Friday night games were pretty late as well. But yeah, you're right. Like attend the Friday night game and then actually get to have a college football Saturday on your couch. Yep. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So okay. Real quick, let's get into some of the coaching carousel stuff. Um <laughs> but again, I so I typed these show notes out on Monday last week. We had we scheduled the show for Tuesday, had to bail. Some things came up. Um, so my notes read, uh, the coaching carousel is officially done for the season, at least until Florida opens. Um, and I'm counting that as part of the 2024 cycle. No, Chip Kelly isn't leaving UCLA this offseason. I'm sorry, Carlos. <laughs> um, so that's great. <laughs> Chip Kelly left UCLA. Um, uh, there's been just an insane amount of uh news around who is and is not interviewing for this job um brent brenning was one of the names that got brought up arizona's coach i whatever i don't know ucla is in a weird spot i know that jed fish got pulled to washington but otherwise zero big 12 coaches were poached for p2 jobs Despite a decent amount of noise around Chris Kleiman, Lance, Chris, Chris Kleiman, Lance Leipold, and of course, you know, the annual Kyle Whittingham joke, is this a good thing for the conference or is it a sign of the perception that the Big 12 has already been slapped with scrapes? I, th- mm, 
it's hard. I th- I think I would feel much worse about it if Nova Fida and, and Tent McMillan went to Washington mm-hmm. with Jed Fish, but considering that they're staying in the conference, like I, I feel more okay with about it. Like Arizona is always a stepping stone for Jed Fish. Like we we've been making jokes about that for since he was there, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a good thing for the conference. Hopefully, like UCLA doesn't look to the Big Twelve because it's a really, really, really bad time to be looking for a new head coach and who knows what could happen if they pull someone away from the big 12, what like chaos could come from that. So yeah, I, I don't think it's because the coaches aren't good in the big 12 necessarily. I, I think that it is a good sign for the conference in general, just because teams keeping their coaches generally means they'll be better. Assuming those were coaches they kept for being good and not uh, kept because they couldn't afford buyouts. But I don't think that was the case. Now you do have to deal with like, the media wars of like, did Lance Leipold say no to Washington or did Washington not want Lance Leipold? Did Washington say no to Chris Kleiman or did Chris Kleiman say no to Washington? It's hard to tell these things, I think, because everybody's trying to get their spin out first. In general, though, I think it is a good thing for the conference. And it's nice that when a job opens, it's not a guarantee that the best coach from a conference like the Big 12 like you, you don't automatically assume that he will get the Big Ten or SEC job that just opened up. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree, I, and and I think that it's a good thing, and specifically that we know that these mm-hmm. coaches are good, right? I, I think that when you looked at when the big the Pac twelve coaches weren't getting poached, um, you know, like when Chip Kelly wasn't getting poached, and. Uh, all of those names, I, I, it was definitely something that was, it, it was just more evidence that these were bad coaching hires and this was a problem, right? Um, you know, when Jonathan Smith is one of your three good coaches in the conference and he's the one that is constantly in getting poached talks um, is definitely something that I, I found very interesting. I'm there's a small part of me that thinks that this is a very, very good thing. And that actually this is a sustainable league for a long time. But I also just, I don't think that Leipold and, and Kleiman are viewed as being yeah. top 10 coaches in the, in the, the nation. And I think that that is probably where, I mean, I think it's where Kyle Whittingham's perception has lived pretty much his entire tenure. As far as he's a very, very good coach. Not who Ohio State wants, you know, not who LSU and Alabama. And if are there was ever for. a time where he was um, that guy, it was 10 years ago or like 15 years ago. And he had the mm-hmm. opportunities and passed anything like that up. You know, at this point, nobody expects him to want those jobs just as much as nobody expects Ohio State to want him. Right. Yeah. So it'll it'll be interesting. I do think that, yeah, if you can have, you know, your Kansas State, Kansas, Utah, Arizona, if you can have these schools continuing to be on the trajectory that they're on, I think that that the next couple of years could absolutely create a very sustainable league and one that is a very clear mm. third. And I think that that's really the goal right now for the for the Big 12, especially is, you know, once those once those national title hopeful teams of the ACC get poached, that that you can live in a place where this is still a clear level above uh, the rest of the group of five. So, okay. Well, that's all we have on this inaugural big 12 football, uh, show brought to you by no truck stops, a pack 12 podcast. Stay tuned to our Patreon for bonus pack 12 content. Subscribe to this channel, like, and comment away really helps us out for now. 
That's Avery. That's Greg. I am Matt. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Still and thick with smoke So thick it makes you choke The crowd falls in The coffee's kicking And my patience are wearing thin Said I'm lonelier Than a single sax On a quiet city street Things aren't always green On the sunny side